This is the Topics and Takes podcast with Lauren Brownlow. You can download this weekly podcast at WRALsportsfan.com and the WRAL Sportsfan app or subscribe on iTunes and Google Play stores now. Here's your host for the Topics and Takes podcast, Lauren Brownlow. Welcome to Topics and Takes. I'm Lauren Brownlow from 99.9 The Fan and WRALsportsfan.com. And this week, I've already had his co-host on, but I'm joined by Joe Ovius from the Adam and Joe show on this station in the afternoon. Yeah, I had your co-host on first. Sorry about that. I knew that could create tension. It's fine. For you guys. We hang out enough. I mean, (laughs) that's the other part of it. Yeah. I mean, I kind of knew I could just ask you whenever. (laughs) So you're out of guests this week is what you're saying. I'm not out of guests this week. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm not. I actually, to be fair, I planned this well okay, ahead right, of time. Did right. I not? You did. No, you know what? In all I fairness. I booked you. You did. You did book me weeks ago. I did because I, did. I know that your calendar legit like fills up. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I'm sure we can get into that in the, yes. in the day-to-day of, of radio and content Content mining. creation. Yeah. Yes. But I've known, you're probably, I, this is going to sound weird. I was going to say you're probably like the best friend I've had on this podcast. Like, I've had friends on the podcast before. Sure, yeah. But it's just, yeah, like, I've known you as long as anybody I've had on the podcast, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we, we obviously spend the most time together on, like, a day-to-day basis. <laughs> yes. So Yes, we do. It's weird, because I know a lot about you already. Although, there's plenty I still don't know. Okay. I don't think. So... Your podcast, you ask the questions. Well, every time I have people on, I always start at the beginning since I'm talking to people in sports media, Mm -hmm. and I sort of ask, what was the first moment you remember sports being something that was important to you? As a kid, sport, okay, well, I'm trying to find the right (laughs) way to put this. Sports being important in terms of, like, a thing that you do and enjoy? Sure. Okay. Or or care about. Or care about. I mean, I think you do care uh, oh. about, you have cared about sports in your life, yes? Yes, I have, but I do, <laughs> I do, we, I do care about sports in a different way than most people, I think. Mm-hmm. And that leads to some misunderstanding of how I approach these types of things, which is mainly from an entertainment point of view. And I think that probably started at an, at a, at an early age because of my dad. You know, I'll try to do the Cliff Notes version of this. You know, my parents moved from Cuba in the uh, in the '60s uh, with Castro. Google it if you don't know what happened. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, my mom's parents came over before all that happened for economic reasons. Family had moved to the states and things like that. But my dad's side of the family was looking to stay in Cuba. My grandfather was actually going to be, he was actually getting ready to go to med school, but also at the same time, he was a pretty good soccer player as well. So he's mm-hmm. always had a love of sports. And then with my dad, you know, that, that love of sports was, you know, transferred to my dad. And when they had bounced around a little bit before they had settled down in Hialeah, Florida, we had some other family that had moved before to St. Louis I got like some Ovia's clan that actually works for Anheuser Busch. Okay. And Anheuser Busch owned the St. Louis Cardinals. So like at the time they gave away tickets like they were nothing when you worked at the brewery. So in part of my dad's, you know, introduction to the states, baseball was a big thing. So this is why my dad's a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Okay, yeah, that makes sense now, okay. I was gonna say. It's cause that was his first introduction to American baseball. 
And I think most people understand how Cubans love baseball and Cuban baseball players and everything else. So my dad has always enjoyed the spectacle of going to sporting events. My dad is the dude who goes to an arena or a stadium the minute the gate opens. Really? It drives my mom nuts. It used to drive me nuts because it's like, what the hell are we going to do in the stadium for two hours before the game? What did you do in the stadium? We walked around. You know, we'd eat. We'd buy stuff. You know, (laughs) we'd buy swag or whatever. So- my dad would find reasons to go to various sporting events, Super Bowls, World Series. So even if he didn't care. Sometimes if he didn't care. Okay. But like when the Dolphins were involved, the Dolphins played a Super Bowl in, in the Rose Bowl, and he, he and my grandfather went. When the Cardinals were in the World Series in the 80s, he went because we had family out there. I went to a couple Cardinals games as a kid when we'd visit uh, family in St. Louis and things like that. And then he had season tickets to the Miami Dolphins at the Orange Bowl and eventually Joe Robbie. He had season tickets to the Miami Hurricanes. And that pretty much was my weekends for a long time as a kid, where sometimes we would spend the entire weekend in Miami doing the double, going to a Hurricanes game on a Saturday and then going to a Dolphins game on a Sunday. Did you like that? I mean, I, I did and I didn't because, you know, <laughs> right. you were a kid once. Yes. Uh, I think everybody was a kid once. And eventually you don't want to hang out with your parents. Yes. Or you'd rather hang out with your friends Back in, I lived, I grew up in Boca Raton, Florida. I'd rather hang out with my friends, like go fishing or do whatever, than you know go through the process of going Spending to a couple like of games. Eight hours at a right. Yeah. So, but I mean, in, but in the grand scheme of things, when you look back on it through adult eyes, I saw a lot of cool things. I mean, I saw Catholics versus convicts at the Orange Bowl. I saw wide right between Miami and Florida State. Uh, eventually, my dad, because he is the way that he is, he was hell bent on that. I had to experience a Super Bowl. All right. So when the Super Bowl was at Joe Robbie Stadium before we had moved here in 1995, it was the Chargers and the and the Niners. That was like oh, Natron yeah. means yep. uh, Deion Sanders had joined the 49ers. Uh, uh, you had, uh, what is it? Why can't I remember the quarterback's name now at the time? Steve Young yeah. was the QB at the time. And there was a t- complete debacle of a game yes, for the Chargers. Awful, okay, yeah. But my dad, through connections, found a guy who sold him a ticket at face value, and I went was able to go to the NFL experience. I was able to go to the Super Bowl itself. My dad hung out in the parking lot because he tried to scalp a ticket, but he couldn't find a ticket at face value. So he was one of the lone dudes in the Joe Robbie Stadium parking lot with one of those uh, portable televisions. Mind, mind you, this is early 1995. Yeah. So, like, this is not a ubiquitous thing where you could just hook up your Apple TV to the back of your car. Right. So you had this little Sony black and white television, and he popped the trunk, he put it up there, and a lot of other people in the same boat as him gathered around. He had free, He had a great time. But that's my dad. My dad just loves the spectacle. So I think that, in retrospect, kind of developed how I approach sports, including sports talk radio. Because my dad was a very avid listener to sports talk radio. Uh, 560 WQAM in Miami, 610 WIOD. Eventually those stations have morphed and become other things because that's the nature of radio. But my dad was a caller. I was going to ask if he was a caller. Oh, yeah. I, could to- I mean, he's he would call now if, oh, he would if call you guys now. took calls. My dad would call and correct the update guy <laughs> on a baseball score. My dad would call and tell him, why did I get a Cardinal score in the update? You know, mind you, this is before the internet, so you can't, like, look it up in your app. So my dad was like, wait a minute, I want to know what the score was. So, you know, that pretty much helped develop my approach to these types of things where I don't necessarily like going to sporting events for the actual event on the field. Right. I like going to sporting events because I like 
the spectacle and the communal nature of a bunch of different people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different social status, diff- different economic backgrounds, all coming to a single place to cheer something on. And it's a, it's a, it's a neat environment. And it probably ties into the other thing that I really, really enjoy and like, which is music. You know, going to concerts. There's, there's a lot of similarities between sports and music that we can go on and on and on about. But those types of things I've always enjoyed. That's why I like going to the Final Fours or I like going to Super Bowls. I'm the type of dude that will take a tour of the facility just to see all the nooks and crannies right. and things like that because I find that kind of stuff interesting of how this all works. It's why, as an adult, I still am fascinated by Disney World because oh. of the – not because of the rides and the idea that you can still feel like a kid, but – Think about the fact that this company runs four different theme parks and all sorts of other entertainment avenues, and you never think about it. Because, for the most part, it's a smooth operation. And the same thing goes with a sporting event, where there's so many things going on, and it, for the most part, goes on pretty smoothly. And that's where it is today, and why I pretty much approach the way I approach sports. I mean, it wasn't because I was good at sports. I mean, I played baseball, you know? I played baseball and soccer growing up. I love baseball. Okay. I loved playing baseball. But you weren't good at it? It wasn't necessarily that I wasn't good at it. I, w- I was a good baseball player. I'm not going to sell, my shel- sell myself short here. The problem was that I was fat and slow. So, and it doesn't I never, stop everybody. It doesn't stop everybody, but it <laughs> stopped me because I loved food so much. I still love food. And you know, you have to make the decision, do I want to keep doing this and work at it that I become better, or do I just keep eating food? And I chose food. I mean, not everyone has had to make that choice, is all I'm saying, hey, like look, in the in baseball history. When, when BJ Anya was at NC State, I felt that. <laughs> I, I felt too, that. Honestly, I understood. Yeah. When people were getting on BJ Anya, no, I, I sympathized for BJ Anya at NC yeah. State because he wanted, to tr- he wanted to be good, but he loved food. When he would talk about, like, driving down Western Boulevard yes! and, like, the struggle of passing all those fast food restaurants. That's me. I was like, this is so relatable. It's way more relatable than hearing about, like, Kennedy Meeks cutting however many no, pounds I, I for UNC. I could never do that. Like, it's like, I, yeah, disciplined athlete, whatever. Like, So, you know, I played yeah. I played soccer up until a point, but then I started playing. I, I kind of, I would say I committed myself more to baseball, but I learned pretty quick when I got to high school that, as good as I might think I am or I might be, and if my dad were here, he'd tell you that I was a very good baseball player <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. because he's my dad. But what I realized when I got to high school and I tried out for the high school teams, that there was a different level. Right. And that the kids that I was competing against, this was what they wanted to do. And while as much as I enjoyed baseball, I did not have the passion to just drop everything else to do baseball. And while I tried out both in Boca Raton and when I moved in moved to North Carolina in 1995 and at Cardinal Gibbons, I tried out for both baseball teams. I did not make either one. And that was pretty much the moment where I went, okay, uh, I'll just go back to eating food. And I'm good. <laughs> That's sort of a sport. Um, yeah, it is. If you're just joining us, this is Topics and Takes. I'm Lauren Brownlow, joined by Joe Ovius, co-host of the Adam and Joe Show, the afternoon show on this radio station. So you should probably know who he is, but... There's never a guarantee. You never know. You never know. This might be a whole other audience that y'all haven't even mm-hmm. reached yet somehow. The Saturday morning drive time audience, if you're listening live. So <laughs> there's also that. I do want to go back quickly, though, to your sort of fan experience. Did your dad not frame it at all from a fan perspective for you? Like, did you go to those games as a fan, even as a kid? Or were yes. you, like, you cared about the outcome in terms I, of Miami? The, and, only, the okay. only games where I cared about the outcome were Miami right. Hurricane games. Okay, so I not even care, Dolphins. I didn't care about the Dolphins. Okay, interesting. The Dolphins weren't good. 
they yeah. weren't. They weren't. They got good. better though. Those were the, by Mar- the time those were the Marino teams that always got stopped by the Buffalo Bills. Got to remember the Bills oh, yeah. were dominating at that time. Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith, that right. whole you know Jim Kelly was the quarterback. So the only the only team that I ever cared about growing up was the Hurricanes. That was it. I didn't care about the Marlins when they finally showed up in 1993. I never really cared about the Dolphins other than, hey, my dad loves the Dolphins. That's why I know countless Dolphin fans are like, well, you grew up in South Florida. You went to Dolphin games, man. You must remember. I'm like, yeah, man, I just remember like Sammy Smith fumbling a couple of times in a crucial game. Like, that's what I remember. Like Chris Morris, who we work with here at the station. I mean, he loves the Dolphins. No, yeah, it's... And my dad has sent him Dolphins memorabilia. Right, because he knows you don't... Because he knows I don't care. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was that kid, like, I was that typical kid growing up where, what was the other good team in the NFL? So, like, I loved the Chargers at the time hmm. because that was the team that I was in Madden 93. Oh, okay. So I had an affinity for them. The Chicago Blackhawks I liked as a hockey team because they had Jeremy Roenick on NHL 93, NHL 94. So, like, that's how I kind of associated the teams that I liked Back then, shocker, right? That I liked a video game, and that would lead me to like like a team in real life, right? Yeah, real big shocker that's... there, huh, Lauren? <laughs> anyway, so the you know with the Hurricanes, my love of the Hurricanes, as you know, but m- some people might not know, does appear from time to time. Okay, and it, it now not unlike the rest of the fan base. Exactly, I'm very much a Hurricane fan in that regard. But now my enjoyment or like of the Hurricanes is more nostalgic than anything else. So, like, when they were in the ACC championship game Mm -hmm. two years ago, two seasons ago, and they got destroyed by Clemson, it was still fun to go and kind of be back in that environment with obnoxious Miami people, obnoxious Hurricane fans, people throwing up the U, the turnover chain. Like, I loved that. I, I broke out my dad's old satin jacket, starter jacket, that he doesn't doesn't it doesn't fit him anymore. But I loved putting that on because of the nostalgic nature of it. Um, but I'm also realistic about the Hurricanes. I know that you will never be back. So you don't feel fan pain anymore. No, it's been beaten out of me because because of what I do. Right. You, you know, like I, it's two separate things. I I under I do my best to understand the fan plight. And I've actually gotten a little more sympathetic to it as I've gotten older and as lo- and the longer I do this, when I see sports going in a direction that cuts fans out even more. Uh, when you, you know, the cost to go to a game is ridiculous. Yeah. The, the expectations that are put on fans for like football to tailgate, kill your entire day to go to a football game, be at the game for four hours and then sit in traffic to get home. I think a lot of folks in our business get to a point where they're spoiled by the fact that, you know, I'll give you a recent example. Was it a pain to get from the radio station here in Raleigh to Chapel Hill for the NC State North Carolina game at 6.15 in the middle of traffic? Sure it was, because sitting in traffic stinks. But once I got onto 54, I was bypassing all the Friday Center people. I was bypassing everybody else that was trying to get into the pay lots. And I parked right in front of the Smith Center because right. I have a media pass. And I waltz right in. I didn't have to go in the line or anything like that. So those types of things, I think, kind of mess with us in the business. And we tend to forget the expectations and time commitments that fans put into sports. And I think in the last Not couple of years. Not allowed to bring a purse anymore. 
Don't get Kelly started on that. Don't get me and, started and on that. And I don't even have to deal with and it. And Kelly doesn't even know, like, all right, which policy is which, you know? Right. Because every policy is different. Even at PNC Arena, you know, you might be able oh, to Oh, it's a friendlier policy at PNC, I believe. But, but depending on- Right, you the, just never know. D- depending Duke on football who's there, has a friendlier policy know. than other places. It's ridiculous. So I think as I as, as I approach 40 that I, and have kids and you see other families that are also trying to keep the sports- Because sports is a lifestyle- it's it's a brand choice, if you will. It's an extension of who you are as a person and a family that you kind of, I don't know, you you kind of feel you feel for fans who want to keep that going, but and would go to more games, but right. because of life, they just can't. And um, I think we could probably do a better job of understanding where fans come from if we kind of take that approach from time to time. So you said you were. Not bad at baseball, except for fat and slow. I was good at baseball. So what were you good at? Like, what did you do well? I could hit. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, could, I figured that's if you, probably if it. You needed, I didn't but, wanna... but basically, the, I'm a. I I I essentially was. I could make contact. I put the ball into play. I was not a power hitter. Um, I was always jealous of that. Like one of my best friends growing up could just crush the ball, and I was always bitter about the fact that I just could not hit home runs. But. There's a reason why in the lineup they usually put me like three or five because I could put the ball in play. Mm-hmm. I can without and because I hit lefty, I was able to pull the ball. I could also hit opposite field. I could just do that. Like when we've done these uh, these batting challenges, the D bat, like everybody's gonna crush like the ball every so often. But I see a lot of swings and misses. Right. I don't. Okay. I will make contact. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was probably the uh, my my best attribute. I could also uh, throw the ball pretty far so they usually play me at third base uh or left field uh but then as i got fatter and slower they would <laughs> it's uh like the base running becomes an issue yeah the base running becomes an issue and that's that honestly was the issue like i what i what should be doubles right were singles for me really that's a problem is that bad or are you that's exaggerating bad. no i'm dead serious i my dad used to say that i ran like i had a piano strapped to my back <laughs> well like, <laughs> that's a, that's quite a visual yeah how overweight were you back then at my fattest, right. I was about two thirty-five, size forty pant. If okay. you saw pictures of me, and I have, so and you I have. don't. I just, but I know others haven't, so if I need you, to remember that I will, as I'm I will use painting this, the picture. I will here. use this descriptor. You agree or disagree? Okay. It looks like me today wearing a fat suit. No, that's really accurate, actually, mm-hmm. and a wig because you had like way different hair. Really, Lauren? You had different hair. I didn't. Really? Oh my god, you had like the wow. Jeez, you know what? You had like the classic '90s cut. I had a butt cut. Yeah, I, I wasn't gonna say it. That's but, what it was. It was a butt yeah, cut. It was a classic late '90s butt cut. <laughs> but you had like Part some wave to it. So yeah, like, you I had, had a, a lot yeah, of. Yeah. I had a Cuban fro. Is that what it is? That's what okay. it was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, what was your peak athletic achievement then? <laughs> I, w- I was gonna say I should get my dad on the phone for that one. No, I think my peak athletic achievement. No, obviously my peak athletic achievement is actually something that I've done recently. Oh, beer mile. <laughs> I'm serious. I am serious. Um, oh my god. The beer mile, which I recently did at Bond Brothers, uh, it was last May. I'm going to do it again this upcoming May. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess to circle back. All right. So yeah, I used to be fat. Um, so I got to a point probably around 2003, 2004, where I decided, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, like just for health purposes, I cannot be fat. So okay. I, started, I started eliminating things from my diet. Okay. But now I got to a point where I lost all the weight, but I'm not, you kind of hit a point yeah, yeah. where you're just kind of schlubby and you're like lethargic 
you're like, okay, I got to stop doing that. So uh, for content purposes, because I do the 919 Beer Podcast, mm-hmm. and you and I both know that we do video content for the website and things like that, I thought, all right, what's something different that I can do this year? So I used the beer mile at Bond Brothers as a motivation to start running. Okay. Okay. And I'm not, I am not making this up. I'm not lying when I say that when I started running that January and then accomplished the beer mile and did it in 10 minutes. When yeah, I that's cr- pretty. When I crossed the finish line, for those who don't know what the beer mile is. Yes. It's um, a mile, obviously, but you run the four quarter mile laps. But before you run each quarter mile, mm-hmm. you drink a beer. You drink one to start? Yes. Okay, I was You chug sure. a beer. Run a quarter mile, chug a beer, repeat, repeat, repeat. So (laughs) something came over me as I crossed the finish line and I saw that I was approaching 10 minutes. Like, I'm not kidding when I said I felt like I had to dig deep because I told myself I was going to do this in 10 minutes. Okay. Okay. That was my goal. Uh All right. So when I saw, when I turned the corner and I saw the big digital clock at the finish line at like 930 it like hit me like this rush of adrenaline hit me and i just you know and you can actually see it in the garmin pace you know like as i it went up because i wanted to cross that damn finish line at 10 minutes and as i did it and glenn caught it on video like i lost it i was like yeah like i lost my mind <laughs> and that like when i was finished i was like that that was a that was an athletic achievement that I, and i told kelly this my wife i said i had not felt like that like i accomplished something athletically probably since i played baseball like if, you know, winning a right. little city championship or whatever it is. So that, that's probably what it was, honestly. Wow. Okay. Yeah, look, I just, I just did a, I just did a 10K. That, I was going to say, like, I did you did a, just I, do a 10K. I did that's... a trophy, I did the trophy trot 10K yeah, yeah. at Dorothea Dix, which is not an easy course. It is hilly and things like that. But as you know, uh, you being a Midtown North Hills area resident, those hills are like iron sharp and iron. Yeah, that's So true. they'll help you out. <laughs> so when I did the 10K, I did the 10K in an hour. You know, in under an hour. So, like, or, j- yeah, just about an hour. But um, I never thought I could do that. Right. But I did. So now I, you know, I'm the idiot that now signed up for all the races this year from Runology and all those folks over there. If you're just joining us, by the way, this is Topics and Takes. I'm Lauren Brownlow, joined by Joe Obius, co-host of the Adam and Joe Show, the afternoon show on this radio station, in case you don't know that already, which you probably do. But I'm sure that this is a voice that's familiar to you. Joe's voice, because you've been here for a while now, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I have. Um, we've sort of covered Miami time, but yeah. you moved here a little later in life. Yeah, so IBM shut down the Boca Raton plant, and they started moving people either to Raleigh, mm-hmm. you, know, the re- you know, Research Triangle Park, or Rochester, New York. But my parents were like, nah, we're not dealing with cold. Yeah. Or at least we're not dealing with cold, you know, not 10 like months, that kind of cold. Yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of the Cuban contingent from that my dad went to the University of Miami with and my mom's my mom was friends with a lot of them had moved here so there's whole group of people all just got up from Boca Raton that area moved here so there was already a support circle of people here when I moved in 1995 then I wrapped up uh, high school at Cardinal Gibbons and then got to NC State in 1997 after I graduated from Gibbons and you know I thought I was gonna do computer science but I you know, my dad's an engineer, my is an electrical engineer, my brother is an aerospace engineer. Okay. So there is the there was the attitude that, well, I'll be an engineer too, you know. And I've always been I've always gravitated towards tech and those types of things. 
So I thought at the time, you got to remember in 1997, what was like at its peak. Yeah. RTP was at its peak. Sure. People were getting into tech jobs. People needed programmers. So I thought I'm going to do computer science. The internet's blowing up, you know? So I was like, I'm going to do this. But my grades weren't good enough to get into the engineering school at state. So I got into the first year of college. We actually ended up being a blessing in disguise because first year, the way first year college works is it allows you to take the classes necessary to get into the major. And if you can hack it, then you'll get accepted your sophomore year. But as I was taking these programming classes and these math classes, I realized two things. I hate, I hate math. Like advanced level math, I started to hate. Two, while I understood the logic of programming, I could not envision myself in a career where I sit in front of a computer all day in a cubicle hammering out code. Just couldn't do it. Right. So I was, I don't know. I just, I, it just felt like it wasn't. So I, I got in, I, I, I got into the business management, you know, college of, uh, college of management with at the time a nascent program called management information system. So it was taking what you knew about computer science, but putting you in a position to, position to, you know, manage these people, if you will. Right. Um, but I got into the, I, I started working at the college radio station, WKNC. And that was something that I always wanted to do was be a DJ, uh, or at least get, not get on the radio, but I loved playing music. I loved making mixtapes. I loved, um, I liked the sequence of music. I liked putting things together and creating a vibe. So I wanted to, and I've always listened to radio, getting back to what my dad listened to sports talk radio all the time. I was very familiar with radio and always fascinated by the format. So I decided, what the hell? I'm going to go ahead and apply to work at WKNC. And the way they worked, or the, at the way they worked at the time, is that they make you do eight weeks worth of news reading. Now, that was a way to weed out people who were not committed to wanting to be a DJ. Right. That's eight weeks of you doing five minute updates once an hour for like three hours. It's the most mundane thing. You take like an AP wire story, rip and read, and then you just, you know, just to get you familiar on the mic. So by the end of my freshman year, I had done all that stuff and I started DJing that summer and I got hooked on it. I got hooked with the idea of radio. So when it came time to start thinking about what I was going to do for work, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go work at an FM music station or I'm going to go work in the music industry. But two things uh, were abundantly clear to me when I started looking. One, FM music consolidation started occurring where for a lot of people who might not know this, but the DJ that you're listening to on your favorite music station other than Mix 101.5, which is live and local most of the day, most of that is voice tracked, meaning that it's been recorded earlier at some point in time, or worse, recorded somewhere else. So you got one DJ recording, you know, voice tracking multiple stations in a region, okay? And they try to act like they're local, but they're not. So that consolidation through technology limited the jobs to be on the air. And to get your foot in the door at FM music stations, you typically have to do things like work in promotions. Is some promotions assistant. And for those who have no idea what that means, it's, you know, those people you see at a, at a concert event or a sporting event and they're under a tent and they're handing out stickers they and koozies. Shirts on. Shirts and stuff like that. Yes. That is a promotions assistant. Yes. All right. It's it's dirty work. It's, we love our people that do we this. Do, it's... We do. We do. Because it's necessary, <laughs> yes. but it is dirty work. It pays minimum wage. and But typically that's your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. So the other thing for music was Napster. The internet was destroying. Oh, sure. I mean, you got to remember, this is 1998. Oh, I remember. So this was destroying the way the music industry distribution was working. Right. But I still liked radio. 
And at the time, I used to listen to a radio station called 850 The Buzz. Okay. And 850 The Buzz, while I was in college, featured such notable names as Mike Salarte. Shout out to Spectrum News. It also featured uh, the sports pig, Morgan Patrick. Okay. Who you might know from various things. And one Adam Gold. Yes. Who hosted Afternoons on 850 The Buzz. So I used to listen to the station. And I was like, all right, well, I like sports. I like talking. Let me apply. And they... Even with your dad listening, though, had you ever thought about it like that before? Like, did you ever think, no. like, oh, I'd love to talk about sports on the no, radio? It was a job. Right. And okay. Honestly, it was a job. Yeah. It yeah. was just a job in radio. So, I got Because I also applied uh, at Curtis Media to do traffic. To just do traffic updates, and then maybe use that as an as a way to get in the door at one of their radio stations. But uh, I interviewed; they never gave me the job, and I did get a part time job at eight fifty The Buzz. My first job was uh, coming in, running a golf show, and doing updates, screening phone calls, and uh, screening phone calls for a show called Sports Saturday that featured uh, a friend of mine, Chris Clark, and one David Glenn. Okay. And then on Sundays, I would screen phone calls for a show called Computers 2K with Amnon Nissan. Coming and, full circle, I guess. Right. And it was two It was two hours of people calling up with their computer issues. And Amnon would troubleshoot it for you on the air. Okay? <laughs> so, uh, eventually, this was in my senior year. So, this was in, like, fall December of 2000 when I got a part-time job at 850 The Buzz. Okay. And eventually, over time, I started picking up more work. Like in 2001, I would start covering sporting events. Uh, I graduated from NC State in 2001. While everybody's going off to work at Cisco, SAS, Dell, IBM, you know, all these, you know, getting paid, you know, a pretty decent salary right out of college. I'm sitting here going, what the hell am I going to do? I'm working part-time at a radio, at a sports talk radio station. And at the same time, Kelly and I are getting ready to get married. In 2002. Yeah. All right. So we, um, it gets to a point where it was kind of like the, uh, you know, might as well do this or get off the pot moment. Right. Right. After we got married and in April 2002. But as we got back from our honeymoon in the British Virgin Islands in April of 2002, Mike Salarte took a job in Charlotte, which, which is, was at the time the News 14 thing. And that created an open space for a new host, which Chris Clark ended up taking. Wow, and Mike's still there. Yeah, Mike is still yeah, Mike is still there. And that created an opening. Chris Clark was Adam Gold's producer. Mm-hmm. And he ended up getting Solarte's old spot. Gold needed a new producer. Hi. I took the job. That was the fir- that, that was the full the first full time gig I had. But in order to supplement that too, I had to I had to sell myself on, well, we can just get a part timer to do it. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you guys you guys know what you need? You guys need a freaking website. Their website was trash at the time. It was a small company. 850 The Buzz was owned by a family in New Jersey. This guy who owned the station was a brain surgeon. Not not joking. Wow. Actual brain surgeon. And these radio stations were essentially a tax write-off for him. All right? I'm not making that up. That's, like, really the case. So I sold them on, let me do your website. I'll keep it up to date. Completely redo it. I mean, I'm using some of the stuff that I learned when I was in NC State. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, and how, much, how ready were you to do that? I was, no, I was ready to do okay, it. Okay. I, mean, I knew how to do it. Right. So I did that. I completely redid the website for them. And then eventually that became what was called 850 The Blog. I remember. Okay. And 850 The Blog was essentially, all right, well, these sports blogs are blowing up in, you know, 2003, 2004 timeframe. 
why don't we just do a local version of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, Amnon, I he gave me the software to use, and we eventually, you know, brought up 850 the blog, and 850 the blog kind of it had a nice little community. And I was I was part of it back in the day. You were? I mean, I didn't like write anything. I, I was a lurker. You I was were a lurker. Not, yeah, I did not like know that. what we would call a Twitter lurker. I did not know that. Yes. yes. So, uh, as the uh, so a couple things happened along the way. As as to give you the Cliff Notes version real quick. So the next step happens. All right, I've been a producer for a while. We change ownership. A gentleman by the name of Billy McClatchy bought the radio station because of a failed attempt to take the station over by somebody else or FCC got involved is what I should say. And they wanted to start up another radio station, which eventually became 620 the bull. Okay. Which is now what people know as the buzz, the the yeah. new buzz. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. There was 850 the buzz and 620 the bull. So the reason why they wanted to start that radio station is, is to, uh, in order to discourage competitors from starting up another radio station. If we had all the properties and we had all the sports talk, why would you start one up? Right. But uh, that took me off of Gold's show as the producer and put me as a co-host with Morgan Patrick on what was called The Morning Mojo. We did that for about a year and a half, and then Don Imus happened. For those who don't know who Don Imus is, he was an old radio guy. He used to be very popular at 850 The Buzz. But then he called the Rutgers women's basketball team a bunch of nappy-headed hoes. Yep. That got him taken off the air. So that completely blew up what we were trying to do. They got rid of The Morning Mojo. It put me with, back with Adam in like in a weird hybrid producer co-host role where I was running the board and being an on-air contributor along with Tony Rigsby, who you hear at Bulls games as the PA guy. And they put David Glenn in the afternoons. And we tried to do like some hot topics type radio show. Didn't, doesn't go very well. And then 99.9 The Fan starts up from Capital Broadcasting. And that was a swift kick in the butt. They got me and Adam and Tony. Uh, we used to have a guy, Terry Tuff. Terry Tuff moved on to do something else, and we went back to doing sports, right? And then in 2009, Capital Broadcasting was like, you know what? Uh, we don't feel like competing anymore. We're just going to buy you out. So there was this merger that happens, and the reason why I brought up 850 The Blog is because I am pretty sure that the tech side of things and the 850 The Blog saved my job because when they decided on who they wanted to keep and who was going to be let go, they only brought me and Adam over from programming. Right. Everybody else, like Bomani Jones, who was working with us at the time, he was left out in the merger. Now, Bomani Jones goes on to have great success, as I told him he would. Like, dude, best thing that could have happened to you. You're going to be fine. We'll be fine. You will also be fine. Now look at him, right? Um, And the, the blog... Adam was already well-established. I hadn't really started out yet. I hadn't really made a name for myself yet. But the web presence and what I had created was a... It was of great interest to Capital Broadcasting. And they wanted to bring what I was doing over to 850 The Blog. So they shut down 850 The Blog. And they wanted me to do stuff for what is now Mm WRLSportsFan.com. And without 850 The Blog, I probably don't have a job. So, and that obviously has continued where, yes, I do a lot of on-air stuff. But, as you know... There's a lot of other content that we make as well. And Adam and I have been doing that since. So there's your Cliff Notes version that of how is, we got here. There you go. If you're just joining us, by the way, this is Toppings and Takes. I'm Lauren Brownlow, joined by Joe Ovius, co-host of the Adam and Joe Show on In the Afternoons. I want to back up a little bit, though, before we get back into radio stuff, okay. because I know this is something that a lot of people around here ask you about quite a bit. And 
you did sort of skip over it, which is fine. But your relationship with sports and with NC State when you were at NC State. Okay. So not even now. Like, obviously, you've said it, too. The fan has been more or less beat out of you. Mm -hmm. Understandable. But Mm -hmm. when you were at NC State, what was your relationship like with football, basketball, whatever? It was something to do. Okay. So you didn't care? No. Really? Even then? No. No? I spent my freshman year at NC State. I'm almost disappointed by this. No. I spent my freshman year at NC State. I think I just assumed you did care. In Chapel Hill. Well, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. That will skew things a little bit. Right. Cause because you're, yeah, you're, two, two things. One. Your current wife. And, well, Kelly yeah. and I were dating. Right. right? She, was a member of the, she was a member of the band and I would get free tickets. That right. also was the Mac Brown Bowl Alliance year. So from my perspective, having just moved here and no real allegiance to anything, you got to remember, I I just moved here. No, I know. There's that. This is two years of me being in North Carolina. Right. I had not really developed any sort of affinity for anything. You know what I cared about? Good football. Where was the good football? Well, yeah, right then. In 1997, it was in Chapel Hill. That was an incredible season. All right? It's such an incredible season that they're trying to make it happen again because Mac Brown's back. Okay. So if you'd been in school like when I was in school, which yeah. I was in school from like 01 to 05, yeah. you probably, if you were at state at that been, time, you would have been, okay. I would have been, I would have been all Philip okay. Rivers all the time. Okay, I got you. Right? Right. So anyway, so to me it was, where's the action? Okay. The action was in Chapel Hill. Right. And the same applied to basketball as well. Where's the action? So those are like the Adamola Aquilaja teams with Antoine Jameson yep. and Vince Carter and stuff like that. So I went to a lot of games in Chapel Hill, but I also would go to... And if you had been in school, actually, during the time I was in school, I you would have probably been way more into state athletics, probably. actually. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, because you were there when... <laughs> yeah, they had the 8-20 and 20 season. Well, I'm I like, felt... excuse me, I want a refund. Like, I did not attend UNC for this garbage. I felt, excuse me. I felt for Kelly because yeah. she gets to <laughs> she gets to Carolina her freshman year going, Dean Smith and the Tar right, Heels right, and blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Dude retires her freshman, you know, freshman year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But to, you know, further hammer my point about the spectacle, right. when they opened up PNC Arena, you know what I did? Or at the time, Raleigh Entertainment and Sports Arena. I camped out. Because I wanted to be in mm-hmm. the new building for the first games, right? I was there for the infamous North Carolina NC State campout that shut down campouts forever. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I do remember hearing about that. Yes. I was there for that because, again, the spectacle. So you like the I was there aspect of it as well in terms yes. of like, okay. Yes. I'm pretty much like the uh, LCD sound system song, Losing My Edge. I was there in 1999 when something, something, something happened. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, that's basically me. But, um, but over time, to get to give you what you want, because I know what you want. Over time, I think what's happened with me and NC State, a couple things are going on. One, NC State fans. Let's, okay, let's let's go back before we before, okay. to answer this question. And I know we don't have that much time, but That's I'm gonna right. do my best to answer this as I can. What I've learned over time is that. North Carolina was always told they're awesome, okay? Mm-hmm. Dean Smith, the Carolina way, the media would pretty much kept, kept that propped up, and NC State was kind of also good at the time coming up, but they were not talked about in the way. As much as Jim Valvano and that 1983 team are t- intrinsically tied to college basketball, NC State is never discussed in the same way as North Carolina. No. Right? It never, and it, Absolutely. It, it, it just never has, okay? So I think what happened over time is that NC State fans wanted an advocate for the Wolfpack because 
at the time, they were convinced, well, all these Carolina people. Remember, the Daily Tarot pulls out all these media people, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, they're all going to pull for the Tarot. You know, uh, the the president of, uh, of ESPN at the time, he, he's a Carolina guy, too, right? So... Not anymore. Not anymore. He's no longer the president. But anyway, so I understood why they were looking for an NC State advocate, right? Somebody that would out there would be out there and, I guess, fight for NC State, you know? In sure. the same way they felt that people would fight or promote North Carolina, right? Yeah. So I understood that that mentality. But over time, I think, I, I don't think I'm wrong when I say this. I think over time, in the, as long as I've done this, I think me... NC State fans and I have come to an understanding where I talk about NC State the way they talk about NC State. And I think it's jarring for them to turn on the radio and hear somebody get on NC State the same way they would with their friends at a game. Right. You know? And I think where it comes from is I expect better out of NC State. If that's my alma mater, right, I expect better out of you. And that's why I loved Debbie Yao. When Debbie Yao took over as the AD at NC State, she pretty much came in and said, you know what? You all kind of complacent. You all got to fight for you. You got you know, you to remember who you are. And, and she's done a hell of a job of reminding NC State fans to fight for what they should be. If this is what your expectation is, well, do what you can to meet that expectation rather than dealing with, ah, you know, you know this is good enough, right? And I think that she's leaving NC State a hell of a lot better than where she found it at the time. So I think that's where it comes from. I think it's one of those classic situations where I can talk bad about my family. Right. But you can't talk bad about my family. So when you hear it on the radio or you see somebody tweeting about it, you kind of go like, wait a minute, who's this jerk? You know, why are you making fun of this? Are you trolling us? I'm like, no, I'm actually just kind of talking about them the same way you would. Now, that's flipped, you know, that's flipped obviously, and you know, with the academic scandal at North Carolina and North Carolina being uh, treated pretty much like everybody else now, right. we've seen the opposite occur where the nastier fans uh, are actually coming from the North Carolina side, and now I get constantly told all the time that I'm just some wolf packer or whatever it is. So anyway. That's... I got Yeah, I got called a wolf pack the other day. I'm not right. even sure what that's supposed to mean. Exactly. Fine. You're a wolf puppy or something like that. You know, I'm like, okay, fine. Whatever. Plus, and here's the other thing too, I mean, if we're being honest, I don't really like the idea that where you went to for four years for school pretty much establishes you how you're supposed to be the rest of your life. Right. You went there for four years, okay? I get I mean, that it was I, a very a very important four sure. years of your life, but sure, my sure. goodness, I yeah. just, I did, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, really, you're just going to, like, judge somebody, oh, I went to Carolina. I'm like, I was there for, or you went to state. I was there for four years. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I think it does form a part of people's identity in the way that they view things, though. And that's why I think, you know, I have, I think it takes a while for people to, kind of get where I'm coming from mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. You know, my aloofness towards things yes. has a tendency to create that. I mean, for heaven's sake, you didn't like me uh, when we first <laughs> met, which we can get to that in a second if we have yeah, time. Yeah, we, uh, we have time. So it gets back to how we started the conversation about how I view sports as entertainment. It's just another, there is no greater meaning that you get out of sports than you do music, movies, books, or whatever. Right. Sports is no different than music in the sense that you use it as a way to identify yourself. Yes. Okay. Metallica. I went to a Metallica show the other day. And 
it's no different going to a Metallica show at PNC Arena where everybody's rocking their favorite band T-shirt, whether it's Metallica or Anthrax or a Led Zeppelin shirt or whatever. You identify yourself through the music you like. Yeah. I certainly do. I view the I, I view the music that I'm into as an extension of me. So if you know that I like Nine Inch Nails and I like the, the you know, the war on drugs or any other number of bands where that music's important to me, you know it's an, it's it's part of my identity. Sports is no different than that. Right. So you love, and the, the crossovers between sports and music are actually much more connected than people give them credit because we talk about bands and lead singers in the same way that we would about quarterbacks. You know, I prefer the Beatles over the Rolling Stones. Well, I like Aaron Rodgers over Tom Brady. There's no difference between the two. And people get super into the intrigue of a band behind the scenes in the same way that you would get into the you would super yeah, get like into the, the intrigue room drama of the locker room drama or an mm-hmm. NBA trade or whatever it is. Yeah. So all these things kind of t- and again the communal experience of it all, where you're packing twenty thousand people into PNC Arena to to watch a band play in the same way that you're packing nearly twenty thousand people to watch the Carolina Hurricanes in a Stanley Cup Game Seven. So. That attitude makes me approach sports not so seriously because right. I view it as an entertainment product, and that bothers people. I understand why it bothers people because they take this so seriously. I come back to a, a term that Ray Ratto, who's a longtime columnist in sports, uses because it's very, very accurate. This is a scam. What we do is a scam, okay? Yeah. We basically get paid to watch sports. We get paid to do something that people would do at the office or get on the internet to argue with somebody else about, but we get to do it for a living. It's a scam, the fact that I even get paid about it. Now, I hope the bosses aren't listening to this because I'm not going to do it for free, but that's really what it is. And when you approach it that way, that's why I don't get so bothered by a team winning or losing or whatever it is because at the end of the day, it's just here to entertain us. It's true. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is Topics and Takes. I'm Lauren Brownlow, joined by Joe Ovius, co-host of the Adam and Joe Show on in the afternoon. Um, we can get into the how I met you story if you want me to. <laughs> I mean, I know this was something you wanted to talk well, about. I, I, the reason why I brought it up is I think that people who know us both yeah. would pro- and they they consume a lot of what we do, whether it's the ACC Panic Room or the Drive Through Hot Takes or how we interact on Twitter or when you're on the show with me and Adam. That they probably are like, how'd that happen? They, I mean, I'm serious. I'm, I'm sure there are some people that are curious about that. But the reason I also, I also brought it up is because, because you are a prime example of somebody who yes, thought a particular way of how I approach things, thought I was, how how would you describe me? Or how did you think of me? Uh, I thought that you thought you were above it, like that you were above sports. Right. Like that you were too cool to really care about sports. Mm-hmm. and. Maybe even too cool to understand people who did. Okay. And now what? I, I you know, <laughs> I, under, I, I understand a little bit more of the perspective okay. of where you were coming from. Yeah, but you, you um, were not a fan of mine when we met. Right. Well, it was, you talked about it as like a scam. I, I understand the perspective and I don't disagree with it necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I think at that particular point in time, there was this part of me that was really like grinding from both like a love of 
doing what we do mm-hmm. and a love of sports and everything mm-hmm. else. And it just sort of felt like, well, gosh, couldn't we all be as lucky as you to just like not even care at all about what you're talking about or, or anything to, at all? But right. what you come to find out yeah. is that I do care. Yeah. I yeah. Don't, it's I just don't... from a different perspective. But I also care about the work. Yes, you do. Yes, you know, absolutely. Like that's, and that's the thing, too. It's like I might that, – that might be the way it comes across, but ultimately I do care about the work. I want to put out a good product. I do want to be – you know, right? You do something. You know, I do want to connect with the audience because otherwise, what else are we doing? Also, in general, you have this. Um, you're very difficult to impress, <laughs> and so that would always bother me too. Like as a listener back in the day, and uh-huh. I would just be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I guess nothing will impress this guy. Like, what a jerk! Mm. Like, just you're just like, oh, you're not surprised. What? That's the way I think someone has put it to me before. Like, you're never surprised. You do this long enough, things right. do stop surprising you. I mean. Fair, but scoring twenty four points in a basketball game that did that surprised me. I was going to say that's what it does. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Right, it's it just does, that it after a, happen, after yeah. a while you kind of go, yeah, seen it. It's true though, right? Now, but I haven't lost. But there's a difference between not being surprised and being jaded. And we know a lot of we've yeah, known yeah. a lot of people sure. over time that ultimately become kind of jaded by the product, and you wonder why they still do it if that's how they're going to. Well, go and about I think it. that was the line I was getting to with you, where I was like. He, you, you had that vibe to me at the mm-hmm. time a little bit. It was like, why are you even doing this then? If it's so like, just beneath you. And you now know? look at us. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I. And now I can't go to a sporting event with somebody going, "Well, where's Brella?" I yeah, same. I was gonna say pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely. And that's also like some of that is my own thing, which I'm not interviewing myself, but you know, coming from like being a dork. Back in the day, and like never one of the cool people. And I was the same way. Not the same. I was way. the same way. Please. No, seriously, people who knew me growing you up. You might be. You might have been, but you weren't at the time. To well, me. I'm still a dork. I'm still a geek. I still have like no. There is here. There's another thing. There is what people don't. What people might not realize, and I've actually tried to. Exp- I've, I've tried to express this to my kids because my younger one is a lot like me. My seven year old is a lot like me in that he wants to. He wants to perform. But he gets embarrassed. So he gets like stage fright or he's like, I keep joking with him. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm gonna put you like in a clown school because like you want to like perform. He's like, no, don't do that. But what I what he's going through is something that I still deal with today, but I do a pretty good job of hiding it. Um, I get embarrassed easily, but I hide it. I don't feel like sometimes I'm good or I have like imposter syndrome or whatever that's yeah. called you know the, the the whole imposter syndrome where you're like I don't belong here and that really applies when I go to large events like when I've done radio rows at the Super Bowl or at the final four or I go to like the ACC tournament and you see all these other people and you're thinking like and how am I here you know like why am I doing this and like that 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 actually still drives me today and the other thing too is that while I like being in the studio, you know why I like being in the studio? Because there's nobody around. I don't yeah, I don't I, think yeah. I don't think of all the people that are listening when we do the show. Right. I just don't. It's just when we come into the studio, the way I approach it, it's me, Adam, and Alec. That's it. And then when you come in and we're all just having a conversation, I don't think of all the people that are listening in their cars or something like that. Because if I start to do that, I start to freak out. And that's why Yeah, I haven't quite gotten to that place. That's why I hate doing like when we when we go on location and right. things like that, it is really a struggle for me to get on a microphone in front of people and try to replicate what I do here. 
like I have to fight this like f- this stage fright, I guess is what you would call it, of like, oh my goodness, there's all these people. For instance, like uh, I've had to go on the ice for like uh, Kane's promotion where I would shoot the puck or whatever it was. It was like a DJ challenge or whatever it was. I was scared out of my mind because of all the people that were watching. Even something as simple as throwing out the first pitch at the Bulls game. No, I got, well, that I get. And I got people booing me, you know? <laughs> and no, seriously, I had people boo me. Yeah, and then like, that stuff, like when you put yourself out there. <laughs> but like that's not. But that's a lot. That's a lot. And like that's what. surprised the, that you got. I mean, <laughs> my kids are there, you know? Well, they don't. Well, I people mean, don't think of you that way. I know they don't think of me, that way, but but my, but I'm bringing all that stuff up to <laughs> to illustrate the point that you want like this is something that you're looking at me skeptically like this you don't believe me, but it's true. I'm I, not gonna say I'm not gonna try to dismiss your experience. Right, I, just, I just I don't see that because right. I've developed the ability to hide it. Okay, I have developed the ability over time to basically uh, mask whatever insecurities that are going on all the head trash that's that's at play mm-hmm. i do i do my best to 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 close all that stuff off so you don't notice sometimes it comes across as me being aloof right but if that's your attitude if people you know if that's if that's your take of me as a person me being aloof you probably need to understand that what's going on is that i am probably internally freaking out so it's true though. I'm really awkward in social settings sometimes. Especially with people like I have like when Tori Holt comes in here, you want to see the most awkward moment ever? Oh yeah. When, when Tori Holt tries to up. like dap me up, I'm like, oh geez, Tori's gonna want to dap me up and I'm gonna be like, You don't the know most, what to do with I don't your know hands. what to, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing with my hands? <laughs> and I feel like an idiot. So yeah. anyway. Okay. I mean that's fair. I I I do think people should know that about you though, because they you do project a certain image and it's not always what it seems, I guess. There you go. Uh, one more time, by the way, this is Topics and Takes. If you're just joining us, I'm Lauren Brownlow, joined by Joe Obvious, co-host of the afternoon show. But we don't need to like bore everyone with the details of like how we actually met, because it's not like that's that kind of covers the gist of what. Yeah, it covers the gist. It, it yeah. was the Atlanta ACC tournament. Yeah. And um, in 2012. Yeah, 2012. 2012. Yeah. And uh, I think I had followed you on Twitter, <laughs> and I think I finally got you to follow me back. So. I no no. Uh-huh. I don't think you followed me. I did follow you. Did you? Yeah, because you know how you can go back through your Twitter followers yeah. and like see how old how old they are. Yeah, like you were literally one of the first people I followed. On oh, Twitter. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I think I actually enjoyed you more there than I did. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> on the air because yeah. That's right. Well, because it's a different vibe on Twitter. It is a different vibe. Totally on different vibe on Twitter. So. But no, yeah. I mean, then then we we got to know each other, and then uh, we started. You know, you started doing stuff over with us here at uh, Capital Broadcasting. Yeah. And uh, now we do all these videos. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's, so there you the, go. that's the long and short and of it. And I'm your sidekick when uh, when God. we do the radio show. When you fill in. See, yeah. Like, you talk about awkwardness, but, like, that's my life. So I don't, <laughs> you know, for you to be like, oh, on the inside I'm awkward. I'm like, must be, must be, must nice. be nice to just must keep be it nice. there. Because awkward all the time. Yeah, yeah. And must be nice to not have to show it all the mm-hmm. time but mm-hmm. yeah either way um what is a typical day then for you now typical day now it i mean it kind of depends the only constant that i have monday through friday is the show from three to seven 
So, but it's not really just three to seven. It's you not can just, get to that. Yeah, it's not just three to seven. It's not like you just show up here. At right. I mean, the day the day essentially consists of me getting up around six o'clock in the morning, turning on Golik and Wingo to see what they're talking about, opening up my computer, going through my RSS feed, seeing anything that I might have missed overnight, saving stories. Okay. All right. Then the kids wake up, and you know, it's getting the kids off to school. Blah 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 blah. And then, you know, I'll get a run in, and usually by around 10 o'clock, I'll start really sitting down and kind of looking at what we're going to talk about. And Adam and I don't talk about anything during the day. Usually, when Adam, Adam and I won't really say anything to each other until, like, we get here to the studio. And then you sort of talk about And then, like, even then, we just kind of map out, like, okay, what's in the take factory today? Well, like, what's the big story? You know, who's the guest today or anything like that? And, uh, and the reason why that is is because Adam and I, well, A, we've worked together for so long. Right. So it's not like we really need to map things out. Two, a lot of the element about the show is that it, it works better for things to come out naturally on the air. So, like, Gold knows that I'm coming in prepared. I know he's coming in prepared. So it's not any, like, oh, man, you know, I hope he knows that this story happened. I hope he knows that State got crushed by Carolina last night. You know, like, that sort of oh, thing. Oh, interesting. So you guys don't necessarily, like, break down. Like, you don't say, like, what you think about various oh, no. things until Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. Because if you did that, it, right. the same thing wouldn't come out on the air. Interesting. So I and, probably should do less of that. Then. And it even happens. It even happens <laughs> during the course of a show because you know right. over four hours we will reset topics, mm-hmm. and the way we talk about something at three thirty will not sound the same at five thirty. Right. It does not have the same back and forth because I already know where he's coming from and he knows where I'm coming from, and we kind of approach it a little bit differently. So you know, and you know, Adam, Adam is older than I am, so his perspective is going to be like that. And mom, you know, it, 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 that that sort of thing. And he also approaches sports completely different than I do. Yeah, he definitely. I mean, he's been on this show before. He definitely comes at things from more of a fan yes, perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that also helps with the dynamic of the show. I mean, Adam and I have yeah, been doing this. So. Adam and I have been doing this now for like 15 plus years. So we must be doing something right. Mm-hmm. So, and Adam, you know, and Adam deserves a lot of credit, too, because in this business, it doesn't. You know, he went from a single hosted show. The G spot. Which he never called, but that's how I was promoted. No, so, he, yeah, he, he told us that. Yeah, he told you that story. Uh-huh. So he went from a single-hosted show to, you know, dealing with me. He didn't have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know countless examples of, of hosts that have had a producer come up, you know, the next step up, and either it wasn't going to work out and they had to go find another gig, uh, or they it gets there's too much friction and they have to move on to something else. You know, Adam's been very accommodating to allow over the course of 15 years to just kind of let me develop yeah. into what I've, I've, I now do. A lot of hosts are not like that, and that's a credit to him. And I'd, I'd also like to think, too, that, you know, while he has allowed me to kind of develop this, corner, this sort of stuff, it also allows him to evolve, too. Adam is not the same host he was when I was listening in high school. Yeah. So no, he's, he he said that when he was on with me. So. And I just wanted to say that to make him feel older than he is. <laughs> I want to repeat that. He's a different host today than okay. he was when I was in high school. Wow. Anyway, I just want to repeat that. I mean, yeah. To be fair, I think I was listening. Gosh, was I listening to you in college? No, I don't think I was. <laughs> no. Was I? Wait, when did? What was your first time? Like, what? How? What I was mean, your first I, year on the air, uh, like, uh, first, actually doing stuff. First year on the air was 2005. Oh yeah, that was listening to your college. <laughs> <sighs> so I mean, right back at you. Like I can make you feel old too. So. <laughs> all right, all right, fine. Uh, well, it's been fun. I definitely learned some things about you that I didn't know before. Okay, I would say that. Well, good. I'm glad you 
came away with something out of this conversation. I didn't know you were that fat and slow, for one thing. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was terrible. I was... <laughs> we really should have had your dad on to further eliminate your sports career, maybe but we can... also don't have that kind of time. So. Maybe, maybe he can be a guest on the podcast. Wow, maybe so. I mean, he is a show contributor. Yeah, and I'm, he'd have plenty to say. <laughs> yes, he would. I, I know where you get that part of your of your radio skill set. Uh-huh. All right. This has been Topics and Takes. That's Joe Obvious. I'm Lauren Brownlow. Bye. You've been listening to the Topics and Takes podcast with Lauren Brownlow. You can download this weekly podcast at WRALsportsfan.com and the WRAL Sports Fan app. Or subscribe on iTunes and Google Play stores.